Hello and welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. In this episode, I'm going to recap my recent trip to Australia. Um, I landed back in San Francisco last week after two weeks in Australia, the other side of the world, a long 14-hour flight from San Francisco to Sydney, but well worth it to visit the different cities and also the different wine regions of Australia. Uh, it's the second time I've been to Australia. The first time was six years ago when I was there for three weeks, and it, it was exciting to be back and just see what's changed, what's the same, and to get more of a, a deep dive into Australian wine. And I also got to visit Tasmania, which I did not visit um, six years ago. So that's the first time um, in Tasmania, which is really exciting because I really liked um, that island and its wine and its culture. So first of all, I landed in Sydney, and throughout the two-week trip, the weather was very different from what I was expecting. So I was there in mid to late January, which is the middle of Australia's summer. So I was expecting lots of heat and sunshine and to be complaining about the hot weather all the time. Instead, it rained quite a lot. And that is because, apparently, I was told, of La Nina, which brings in cold air and lots of um, rain as well. So the last three summers have actually been quite wet. So when I landed in Sydney, it was pouring down. The next two days before I flew to Tasmania, it was dry but extremely humid. And it reminded me uh, just how humid Sydney can get from the last time I visited there. And just in wine terms, in relation to Hunter Valley, which is about an hour and a half's drive north of Sydney, that is a very unique, distinct region, which is defined by its humidity and its clammy weather. In Hunter Valley, the most famous grape variety is Semillon, and that defines the very paradoxical style of Hunter Valley. High acid, low alcohol, age-worthy white wines, which are very neutral in aromatics, and that's because the grapes ripen quite quickly, and they're picked very early to avoid the um, autumn storms which come in from continental Australia. So not the ideal conditions for growing grapes, but the, uh, Hunter Valley is an old region, and it is known for its um, semillon as well as its Shiraz, which is also picked relatively early in relation to other Australian regions. But I did not go to Hunter Valley. That humidity and warmth is not actually that pleasant. So I recuperated in Sydney and then went on to Tasmania, as I mentioned, for the first time. And I stayed in Hobart, which is the main city on the southern tip of the island. Tasmania is a bit larger than I realised. To get from Hobart to one of the other major towns, Launceston, which is to the north of the island, is about a three-hour-plus drive. I hadn't quite factored that into my plans. So I just um, concentrated on Hobart, the city, and Coal River Valley, which is about 30 minutes drive from Hobart itself. So pretty accessible. For tourists visiting Hobart, Coal River Valley is a very easy region to go and visit and taste wine, also beer, and also um, spirits as well, because Tasmania has a pretty vibrant um, spirits culture which is only about 30 years old, but it's really mushroomed, particularly in relation to whiskey and also gin, a bit more of a recent development. But we're here to talk about wine. And again, the history is relatively recent, only commercially starting in the 1970s onwards. Uh, grape growing and winemaking does go back longer than that, but not really commercially and certainly not outside of the island. As that wine culture slowly developed, it wasn't really in tandem with how the rest of Australia was developing, as the trend in Australia, particularly in the 90s and into the 2000s, was for big, full-bodied, high-alcohol wines, which Tasmania does not fit into, because the climate here is relatively cool, and the wine regions 
on the south coast, the east coast and the north coast are all um, by the ocean. And so there's a strong maritime influence. So very different from either the Mediterranean climate of many of Australia's premium regions or the continental climates of more inland regions. There isn't actually that much diurnal temperature, temperature variation within Tasmania. The days are relatively warm and the nights obviously cool down, but there isn't that much of a difference. So it's not, again, like continental or Mediterranean Australia where diurnal temperature variation is more extreme. So a relatively consistent growing season, but on the cool side. And also rainfall does vary in this maritime climate. In Coal River Valley, average annual rainfall is just 450 millimetres, which is actually quite low, and I was surprised to learn that. But on the north coast of the island, in Piper's River and Tamar River, the rainfall is about 800 millimetres, so nearly double that of the southern parts of the island. So conditions wetter and more humid, and obviously that changes the growing conditions. So within Tasmania, there are different growing conditions producing different styles of wine. And that proximity to the ocean also makes Tasmania quite windy. Wind coming in, which will cool conditions, but also dry the grapes as well if it has been raining. And also in Tasmania, the sunshine is quite intense. Tasmania is parallel with New Zealand and it has that similar intensity of sunlight, which means it is possible for us to get burnt quite quickly if we don't have sunscreen on, and likewise for the grapes as well. So lots of different factors within Tasmania. Rainfall, sunshine and wind, and proximity to the ocean as well. So Tasmania has developed in the last 10 to 15 years and become much more known because Australia in general has embraced the trend for cooler climate, lower alcohol, higher acid wines. And we've seen that in other regions in Australia, such as Yarra Valley and the other ones surrounding Melbourne, which produce very good Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And so Tasmania, which was used by um, big brands in Australia for sparkling wine and for regional blending, in uh, white and red wines. So Tasmania is part of the Southeast Australia GI, which covers all the wine regions on the eastern side of Australia, and is pretty much the size of Europe, and which allows regional blending and um, brings costs down as well. And so Tasmania wasn't really on wine labels until the last decade or so, but now it is much more prominent and fashionable, and people are talking about Tasmania. The best and most famous style of wine is sparkling wine, uh, because of those relatively cool conditions, which produce wines with high acid, not too fruity, from Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, of course, so traditional method sparkling wines. And because Tasmania's quality from vintage to vintage doesn't necessarily vary that much, but volume does, uh, because of um, rainfall, wind, and, and, and exposure to sunlight, and also the regional variations as well. So non-vintage sparkling wine is a very useful tool for many producers to make, so that they have a consistent wine from year to year. Rather like Champagne, although very different growing conditions and also very different soil types as well. The soils of, of Tasmania are more volcanic based in comparison to Champagne's chalk and limestone soils. But nevertheless, they have low water retention and good drainage. And so when the rain does fall, it is going deeper down for the roots to find rather than sitting on the surface. But there's also very good vintage sparkling wine made in Tasmania as well. Uh, which can be quite expensive, but of the highest quality. So the sparkling wines of Tasmania have the high acidity we expect of sparkling wine. 
a little fuller than Champagne, and certainly not as searingly acidic as England or Champagne, but not as full as a region like Francia Corta, where it's a little bit warmer. So the sparkling wines of Tasmania are quite distinct, and generally of very good quality. I did go to different producers of different levels of quality, so from outstanding producers to good producers. Each one that made sparkling wine, the, the quality was extremely consistent. For sparkling wine, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are the two major grape varieties, and that of course means that Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are made into still wine as well. And the wines can be extremely good quality too in the cool climate. Tasting the Pinot Noir, I saw it as a bit of a cross between the cooler regions of Australia, such as Mornington Peninsula, and that intense sunshine that you get in New Zealand. So deeper coloured, but a bit more rustic than some of the cleaner wines of New Zealand or Australia. Whereas the Chardonnay maintains that high acidity with the richness, a bit fuller than most Burgundy, but made in similar styles but not as uh, rich or full as some of the Chardonnay that you might find in the warmer regions of Australia. And so the malolactic fermentation and oak extremely well integrated. So that was Tasmania. And from there, I flew to Adelaide and rented a car and drove to Adelaide Hills, which is 30 minutes from Adelaide Airport, though where I was staying was about an hour. So it's not a uniform region with that 30 minute difference from the southwest point of Adelaide Hills up into the northeast point of Adelaide Hills. It is quite a rural, bucolic region, lots of cows, lots of sheep, lots of fruit trees as well. And the history of Adelaide Hills in terms of winemaking only really goes back to the 1980s, developing in the 1990s onwards. But the history of Adelaide Hills goes back much further than that, and it's very agricultural. Quite a few of the producers that I visited have a long farming history. So for example, one producer I visited called Golding is the sixth generation of farmers who are making the wine, but this is the first generation to actually make wine. Before that, they were growing vegetables and selling them to Adelaide in the East End Market, which now has quite a lot of fashionable restaurants and bars. Another producer, Ashton Hills, was a property bought in 1982 when it was a Brussels sprout farm. The person who bought that called Stephen George converted it to uh, plantings of vines, experimenting with different clones and different grape varieties, but previous to that it had just been veg, and that sums up the history of Adelaide Hills. Its climate is quite wet, and also relatively cool too. So the hills, as the name suggests, it is quite hilly, with elevation of up to 600 metres. And there's also influence from the ocean too, a double cooling influence of elevation and the ocean. And this again makes it ideal for sparkling wine, maybe a little bit richer than Tasmania, but still with that crisp acidity. For still wine, the most planted grape variety is Sauvignon Blanc, followed by Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and some Riesling too, and also Pinot Gris. So relatively uh, cool climate grape varieties, well suited to the region. Sauvignon Blanc is crisp, um, herbaceous, not as pungent as um, New Zealand, but maybe more so than uh, Loire Valley in general. Pinot Noir has a ripe fruitiness to it, but balanced by um, high, lively acidity. And so the wines are quite fresh and quite crisp and not too heavy, but with perhaps, perhaps more of a fruitiness to them than you would find in Burgundy. And also because this is Australia and the wines are all bottled in a screw cap, the wines don't have the kind of dirty, rustic nature that you would find in Burgundy. These wines are very clean with a nice, ripe crunchiness to them. And the Chardonnay also 
has a freshness to to the wines which make them very attractive and drinkable when they're young but extremely age-worthy as well and they have this grainy texture which is coming from the oak but also the malolactic fermentation giving a creamy dairy quality but not as rich and full as other wines that you might find in warmer regions. There are two geographical indications in Adelaide Hills also known as GIs, uh, Piccadilly Valley and Lenstown. And Piccadilly Valley is known for its sparkling wine and also for Chardonnay, high elevation and protected by the mountains around it, uh, particularly Mount Lofty. And so Adelaide Hills is just east of Mount Lofty Ranges, which is a 220 kilometer mountain range, which spreads from north of Adelaide down to the ocean. And it separates Adelaide Hills from Adelaide and also from McLaren Vale. And so Piccadilly Valley, although it's quite high at up to 600 meters, it is a valley protected by those hills and mountains with the cool air and fog falling down onto the vines, which is why it is a rel- it is a particularly cool climate and ideal for sparkling wine and Chardonnay. The other GI, Lenstown, is a bit further east and is more known for its still wines, although sparkling wine is made there as well, from the great varieties mentioned, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Riesling and Pinot Gris too. So lots of variety to Adelaide Hills, despite being a youngish region. There are these two GIs with their different growing conditions, and there are also several towns within Adelaide Hills with uh, wineries and vineyards near them which produce their own uh, subtly different styles of wine. So Adelaide Hills is still a region that's being mapped out, producers discovering what grape varieties work best where and what styles of wine to produce in those different places. Uh, then I went to Adelaide and I was there for my Master of Wine course, so I was there for a week. A much more laid-back city than I remembered. It's, the city centre is quite small, it's quite easy to wander around. There are lots of gardens and parks, some very good bars. I was surprised even in the pubs. There's an astonishing selection of local wine from Adelaide Hills and McLaren Vale. So there's lots of access to wine. And there are some very good wine bars too. I'd recommend Hellbound, which has an astonishing international selection and also East End Cellars, which is a bit more staid, but also has a very good collection of wine too. So plenty of places to eat and drink. On the final day of the course, we went to McLaren Vale on a trip to the Wirra Wirra Winery, which is perhaps best known for its church block wine. So wine had been made there in the 19th century. McLaren Vale has a long history of winemaking, but it had fallen into neglect and was bought in the 1980s and revived. Uh, Wirra Wirra means under the gum tree. So lots of eucalyptus trees in this region, which of course adds to the character of these wines with that menthol, eucalyptus, aromas, especially with the red wines, Cabernet Sauvignon and Shiraz. So I mentioned that it was um, quite cool and wet when I was in Australia, particularly Adelaide, much to my surprise. The day we were in McLaren Vale, it was raining on and off all day and it was also quite windy. So the rain might be quite unusual, but the wind not, because McLaren Vale is quite exposed to the ocean. So lots of wind coming through, which provides a cooling influence, which is good to produce balanced wines in what is otherwise a warm climate. So McLaren Vale is just south of Adelaide. It took us 45 minutes to get from uh, the centre of Adelaide to the winery, Wirra Wirra, which is pretty much in the centre of McLaren Vale. So like Adelaide Hills, very easily accessible from Adelaide, and then to the north of Adelaide, of course, is Barossa, Eden and Clare Valleys. So lots of wine regions surrounding the city, which makes it such a great wine centre. So when you drive from Adelaide to McLaren Vale, you fall into the valley of McLaren Vale. The highest point in McLaren Vale is about 200 metres, and that is to the north. 
going towards Adelaide, and then it falls into the valley where it's undulating but not that high. And then to the east are the Mount Lofty Ranges, which, as I mentioned, separates McLaren Vale from Adelaide Hills, where it's much cooler. McLaren Vale's modern history really begins in the 1990s, when a water recycling facility was introduced into the region, which made access to water much more consistent and viable, and plantings doubled within a few years, and now it's about 7,500 hectares, which is a third of the size of Barossa Valley, but much bigger than it once was. And before this um, revitalization of McLaren Vale, there's a lot of bulk wine grown here and sold to other regions. Chardonnay as well, which isn't very well suited to the warm Mediterranean climate. But since then, there's been two trends. One is to look back to the old vines which were originally planted in McLaren Vale, particularly Grenache, with plantings going back to the 1930s. But also experimentation with uh, new plantings. And so there are lots of Mediterranean varieties being planted in McLaren Vale. For example, I tasted Fiano, both still and sparkling, which was superb. And there's also Dolcetto, Barbera, Montepulciano, Tempranillo, and other Mediterranean varieties which are well suited to this climate. And the producers I talked to in McLaren Vale were adamant that the region is much more experimental and progressive than others in Australia, which may be more traditional and reliant on styles that consumers are familiar with, whereas McLaren Vale likes to experiment. In the late 1990s, there was research into the different geology and soil types of McLaren Vale, and that was formalised into a map in 2010, and there are 19 districts within McLaren Vale. They don't have a name, they're just numbered 1 to 19, and they are not formal designations, they're not GIs, but they are different districts which local producers refer to because of the different soil types, but also because of the um, different elevation, different aspects, different exposure to wind and sun, the different styles of wine produced in those districts. And so although these aren't commercially promoted, visiting McLaren Vale, the producers are very keen to talk about these different districts to showcase the variety of McLaren Vale, that it's not just one small region. And just looking at the map with the hills, the sea, and the different locations of the vineyards and wineries makes it pretty clear that McLaren Vale is not a uniform growing region. The most planted grape variety in McLaren Vale is Shiraz. Maybe not as big and full-bodied as Barossa, for instance, but still on the fuller fuller side with bright black fruits and that menthol eucalyptus character and some meatiness as well. And I did taste some Shiraz from 2010, which had aged extremely well, held its character and its structure and its acidity and its tannins. Older styles of wine, of course, but still very fresh and approachable. So lots of different styles of wine, not to mention Cabernet Sauvignon, made in McLaren Vale. So some traditional styles like Cabernet and Shiraz, the old vine Grenache, but then the more experimental plantings of Italian and some Spanish grape varieties as well. I forgot to mention, I also tried a Mencia, which was delicious and wonderful. So McLaren Vale is quite a vibrant region, which is definitely going to go in different directions in the future, which makes it quite exciting. So those were the wine regions that I visited. Of course, there are lots of other wine regions to talk about, but I did not get to visit all of them. But I found Tasmania exciting, young, developing, Likewise, Adelaide Hills, which is a bit more rural than I was expecting, given it's so near to the city of Adelaide, but very exciting wines too. And then McLaren Vale, which has a much longer history, but one which was really revived in the 1990s. So this gives an impression that Australia has changed a lot in the last 30 years, and that we certainly shouldn't think of Australia as one 
uniform winemaking country. It is absolutely huge. The regions are in very varied locations. And also trends and fashion have changed over the last 10 to 15 years for lighter bodied styles of wine. So cooler climate regions have definitely begun to emerge. Australia wine is in an, in an exciting place. However, it must be said that economically and commercially, Australia is in a very difficult place. And that is mainly because of its relationship with China, which crashed uh, during the COVID pandemic. So COVID obviously hit Australia as it did many other wine producing countries. But in the middle of that, China imposed tariffs of up to 212% on Australian wine. It's a controversial, complex subject, but there's not much Australian wine can do about it. And so its exports to China, which it had really banked on as being the future of Australian wine, absolutely bombed and are now virtually non-existent. Maybe these tariffs will be removed and relations between China and Australia will improve and develop. But right now, Australia has to look to other markets. And the problem there is that the UK has also fallen in its exports. Australia is struggling to find markets for its wines right now. Having said which, the USA and, Ca and Canada have risen quite a bit. So they have been able to diverse their um, exports to different countries, which maybe traditionally didn't buy that much Australian wine. So there's opportunity there. But Australian producers and the wine industry as a whole do have to be on their toes about how to keep Australia in the global conversation, not reliant on the Chinese market, maybe looking towards other Asian markets, as well as to North America, and of course trying to sustain its sales in the UK as well, where there is so much competition. So in tasting the wines, Australia is in a very good position, and selling the wines a bit more difficult. So that's Australia, and some of the different regions, and just an overview of what I encountered in Australia, and some of the exciting wines that I tried. And you can also read more about my trips to my trip to these different regions on my website for some more detailed information about the different producers that I tried and my opinions of the wines. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.